Alrighty, hello and welcome back to Unqualified Analysis, the show with zero qualifications, the guy, you know, just kicked the trash can, uh, zero credentials that just keeps firing off episodes anyways. You probably didn't expect to hear me today. Also probably didn't expect to hear all these echoes in the background. I'm recording on the main floor because boy... Man, that trade deadline was a lot more eventful than I thought it would be. And you know what? Instead of making a two and a half hour long episode to recap the uh, trade deadline for an hour and some change before just jerking you away from the pro sports directly into college football for another hour and some change, talking about all that stuff, I figured I'd just split it up into two episodes. So uh, this one should probably be coming out uh, late on Wednesday night, day of recording here, if I'm uh, on my shit after this. But uh, oh, also, just cussed straight out of the gates there. But you know what? It's been a uh, it's been a long week. Your boy is blocking out a day off on Friday. I am slowly but surely crumbling at the seams right now. But we don't have to get into that. What we have to get into right now is the NFL stuff because. I mean, we're going to lump in the Monday night recap here, but after that, we got to get into all the trade news because holy hell was Tuesday an eventful trade deadline day, man. I mean, more eventful than I even thought it would be. Pretty much everyone who was rumored to maybe be traded outside of like Brandon Cooks, pretty much. I mean, Cam Akers was out there, but who the hell's trading for Cam Akers at this point? But I mean, pretty much everyone except for like Brandon Cooks who was rumored to be traded, got traded on Tuesday. It was probably the wildest trade deadline day ever in the NFL. I mean, this is stuff that just doesn't happen on the NFL level. But with that said, enough rambling on. Let us get into the Monday night recap, shall we? The Monday night recap. And for this Monday night game, it was an AFC North matchup between the Bengals and the Browns. You may remember last time, uh, Jamar Chase is week to week with a hip injury. He was out for this one, and uh, it definitely showed. Very first, very first possession of the game, Bengals threw an interception, and uh, I mean, it just kept getting worse from there. I mean, they didn't necessarily give up a whole lot of yards early in the game. It was kind of a, a stalemate. Both teams throwing an interception. Jacoby Brissett threw an interception of his own, I believe, towards the end of the first quarter. But after that, it was it was all Browns from there. I mean, Bengals just kept turning the ball over. I think they ended up turning the ball over. It was a uh, interception and a fumble in the first half. So two turnovers to, I believe the the Browns also had two two turnovers. So not necessarily uh, no harm, no foul, but it is what it is. The fact of the matter is the Bengals offense just could not move all day. Meanwhile, the Browns on the other side, they were inconsistent, but that running game was absolutely steamrolling everything that the Bengals were trying to do on defense. They went into halftime, the Browns did, with a 11-0 lead. Then the offense ratcheted up a little bit more going into the second half. Meanwhile, Bengals, three and out to start. Otherwise, meanwhile, the uh, the Browns came out of the gates first First drive in the third quarter goes 6 minutes, 11 plays, 75 yards. They get a touchdown to go up 18-0. Bengals go 3-and-out. Kind of got my orders of operations mixed up there when I uh, got ahead of myself saying the Bengals had a 3-and-out. But they did have a 3-and-out right after that touchdown. Punted it back. And what do you know? They responded. The Browns responded right back with a touchdown. Make it 25 to nothing. That's pretty much all she wrote. Um, if you want to keep going down the, the line here, the Browns did score on their next possession after that to make it three straight possessions out of halftime with a touchdown. Pretty impressive offensive spurt there from an offense that is still sporting a backup QB. I mean, Jacoby Prezet has done about as good as you can expect from a backup QB, but still a backup QB there nonetheless. Um, the, the Bengals offense did get a little bit better down the stretch, but they were already down 25, nothing at that point. It's worth asking the question, uh, were they just playing a too high shell and just not letting them get a bunch of huge plays with the exception of T Higgins doing T Higgins things. I mean, that's probably going to happen at least once or twice a game. So you can't really be too broken up about that one. But otherwise this one was, this one was a snoozer from start to finish. And since we, Got our our bet on the under locked in at 47. We did, in fact, hit the under to make it a 4-1 week on the picks. We'll get to the pick pentathlon tomorrow. And I can actually say tomorrow legitimately this time because, well, I'm, I'm releasing this on the day that I'm recording it. But either way, final score, 
Cleveland ended up beating the Bengals. The the <laughs> Cleveland ended up beating Cincinnati. Jesus, easy for me to say. And uh, they made Buddy the Elf smile in the process, uh, beating him thirty-two to thirteen. To I believe. I don't remember if this is the first or second matchup between these two teams this season. But uh, yeah, either way, one game behind the Bengals still for second in the division. But hey, Browns still have a shot when it's all said and done. A couple notable performers in this one on the Browns side. Jacoby Brissett, just five incompletions the whole game. He went 17-22, 278 yards, 12.6 uh, yards per attempt. Zero touchdowns, or one touchdown rather, zero interceptions. The one interception that was thrown by the Cleveland offense was actually Amari Cooper. I might have saved Jacoby Brissett through it earlier, but yeah, Amari Cooper just decided to say, fuck it, I'm throwing it deep. Uh, didn't throw it deep enough, instead it went steer-rate to a, a Bengals cornerback. Uh, that was really the one miscue for Cleveland on offense, though. It was mostly clean game. They did have that one one fumble elsewise, but the second half, I mean, they just absolutely ripped into the Bengals. Uh, the real highlight players were in the backfield, of course. Um, somehow didn't end up getting over four yards per carry as a team, but they did end up chunting the uh, the Bengals to death in this one. Nick Chubb got uh, 101 yards, 4.4 yards per carry, two touchdowns on the ground in this one. Meanwhile, Kareem Hunt, 42 yards, 3.8 yards per carry, zero touchdowns. Another guy that did not end up getting traded at the at the trade deadline that had a whole lot of uh, smoke around him. Also forgot to mention Jacoby Brissett did have a rushing touchdown in this one. So two touchdowns, no turnovers in this one. Again, just keeps being the consummate professional backup quarterback. He can make a whole lot of money and play a really long time if he just keeps doing what he's doing now. He is putting on a resume for the rest of his career right now with the way he's playing with this Cleveland team at the moment. Um, in the receiving core, Donovan Peoples-Jones had four receptions, 81 yards. He was kind of, you know, a, a solid second option there. But Amari Cooper led the way with five receptions, 131 yards, and a tutty to uh, get almost half of the uh, the receiving passing production for uh, Jacoby Brissett in this one. Outside of him, Miles Garrett had himself one hell of a day. He had two sacks, well, actually a, a sack and a half, excuse me. Also, Sione Takitaki in there for the injured Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. He ended up leading all tacklers in this one with 13 total tackles. Got a sack of his own and uh, just had an all-around great game. Also, shout-out rookie cornerback Martin Emerson for the Browns there. Hale State there. He had nine tackles. Two passes defended, had some sweet, sweet plays on the ball, especially in the first half to help build that lead up. So uh, hey, good good for him there. On the Bengals side, it was a tough, tough day for Joe Burrow in this one. He ended up going 25 of 35, 232 yards, 6.6 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, one interception, one fumble lost. He ended up getting a lot of those yards later in the game. He was getting harassed all night. I mean, it felt like Miles Garrett was in his face on literally every throw he had. He, I mean, Joe Burrow was using all of his pocket mobility in this one. He was moving all over the place, getting the ball off when he could, but more often than not, I mean, he was just getting absolutely destroyed back there. Um, the Bengals backfield as a whole, terrible day. Only, only 10 rushing attempts on the day for just 36 yards, 3.6 yards per attempt. Zero, count them, zero touchdowns on the ground on the day. The longest longest run of the day was Samaj P. Ryan on his lone rush uh, for seven yards. So that is just simply not going to cut it. You're not going to win a damn thing when you're running the ball like that. I don't care how good your quarterback and passing game is. And you saw it without the... Uh, Without Jamar Chase in there, just how uh, just how much he is important, but we'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, T. Higgins led the way in the passing game with three receptions for 49 yards and a touchdown. 41 came on, well, 41 and the touchdown came on one catch where he mossed whatever poor cornerback was in his way. I don't know if it was Greedy Williams or who it was, but yeah, that is not a, uh, that is that is one of those where it's, it's a 50-50 ball on, on paper or, you know, according to the eyes, but when it's T. Higgins going up there, it's like an 80-20, 90-10 ball. He's going to get most of those because that is what T. Higgins does. That's what he was like. That's what made him pop off the screen in college with his tape there is because he would just, maybe not the most fluid route runner in the world, but he would go up and absolutely catch everything within a 10-mile radius of him. So yeah, that, that's pretty much what he did in this one. Outside of that, quiet game 
for the offense overall in this one for the Bengals. Um, defensively, I would give uh, give some stars out here, give some gold stars, but uh, they gave up 32 points, so I'm less inclined to do that in this one. Key takeaways on the Browns side. The Browns is the Browns. I'm, I'm not sure we learned anything from watching them bury the Bengals with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Ooh, excuse me. A little bit of gas coming out to just sabotage my thought there. Uh, that being said, I will say, I mean, it pains me to say it, but it is it is the God's honest truth, unfortunately, so I do have to posit it here. Uh, when the nasty man gets back in there and you have Deshaun Watson running this offense, I have a I have a sneaking suspicion this is going to turn into a top 10 unit in the NFL, if not like a top five unit. I mean, I... Don't get me wrong, I am not a I'm not a Deshaun Watson fan. We don't have to go over that whole thing again, but uh, I'll be damned if he isn't one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL. And who who's to say he hasn't played in hell? It's been over two years at this point, so who knows if he's going to actually end up being like like good when he gets back in there? I would assume so. I can't imagine that he his skills have fallen off too too much. So. Yeah, when when Deshaun Watson gets back in there, if they are like within spitting distance, there's a good chance they could go on a run late in the season, maybe make a run at the division, maybe make a run on a playoff spot. And uh, from there, we'll have to see what happens. Um, don't want to go singing the, the Browns praises too much just yet because the Browns is the Browns, but uh, they're not in a terrible spot right now with, with Watson coming back after the bye week in, in a few weeks. But uh, again... Uh, not much else to say on the Browns there. For the Bengals side, though, I think I may have personally underestimated just how important Jamar Chase is for the success of Joe Burrow. Um, it is, It was startling to see how much worse this offense was without Jamar Chase in there. And that's really like, that's the only only real difference I saw from what, what they did against Atlanta. I mean, sure, it was the Atlanta defense at the end of the day. But also the Cleveland Browns haven't exactly been lighting people up on defense either. They've been they've been kind of pedestrian at times this year as well. So I I'm a little bit I mean confused is probably the the wrong word. I'm I'm kind of shocked as to just how precipitous the fall off was on Monday night. But I mean it makes sense when you think about just how just how great. Um, Jesus, his, his name already escaped me. Jamar Chase is goodness gracious. I'm I'm already getting that CTE brain. I don't think I had enough. Uh, I don't think I had enough blows to the head to really be getting that just yet. Uh, that being said, it, it's worth asking the question without Jamar Chase in there, or if he's not at a hundred percent. If we're seeing more of this right here, I mean, Bengals they got a very good defense. Don't don't get me wrong. They gave up 32 in this one, but they've been very good for most of the year. They just got put in some bad positions by a couple turnovers on the Bengals offense. If that offense looks like it did last night for the rest of the season, I just don't see the Bengals making the playoffs. That that might not be the hottest take in the world, but it's something that's got to be said because I think a lot of people just look at the Bengals, they see Joe Burrow, they see T Higgins out there, see Joe Mixon out there as well. And they just think, oh, this is the same group as last year. They'll be right where they were at the end of last year. You got to remember, they were on a miracle run at the end of last year. There's no reason. They had no business help being in the AFC Championship, let alone in the Super Bowl when they got there. That was all just the brilliance of Joe Burrow, which, I mean, it could, in theory, happen again down the stretch here. But, man, if, if Jamar Chase isn't good to go when you need him most, I would be very, very worried about this Bengals team. Uh, that being said, not going to overreact to it because it is a week-to-week injury. It's probably not something that is going to hamper him come playoff time, at least not as far as as I know personally. But uh, it's something to monitor. It's something to be worried about if you're looking at the Bengals here in the long term. Um, with that, before we get into the trade deadline, I mean, the Nets just kind of dropped this in here. But what the hell is going on in Brooklyn right now? <laughs> they just fired Steve Nash. Then almost immediately moved to hire, you know, a guy that we we all know was uh, just suspended for a year plus, year and some change here. Well, actually, not a year, a year plus. Sorry, just a, just a whole season. But still, from from the Celtics, Ime Udoka, they they just hired him off of off of the bench there. I can't imagine this just happened. I bet there's probably been talks ongoing, but again, this isn't necessarily about Steve Nash. I mean, I know. 
you, you, you thought it would be all hunky-dory with him coming in there all la-la-la, rainbows and gumdrops. That's not, that was never going to happen. I think anyone who who saw what was happening there preseason knew that at some point, it might not happen now, uh, might happen later on, Steve Nash was going to get the stanky boot. There's no, <laughs> There was no way after Kevin Durant straight up like walked into the owner's office and said, it's either him or me. That Steve Law, that Steve Nash was gonna stay there, whether he wanted to stay there or not, or whether the 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 team wanted him there or not, it's. I mean, once you put that out there, not a whole lot of reconciling, especially for a bunch of of petty NBA players that I know I know and love uh, just how petty the NBA players are. I mean, you got all, you got Kyrie doing his whole thing with uh, saying the Jews are the cause of all of the uh, the the plight of the black man. Um, that's interesting theory, not necessarily supported by uh, true facts, but that's a theory for sure. Um, on top of all that, you're, you're adding an Ime Udoka, which by the way, I'd also like to point out, it's, I'm not the first one to point it out, but it's it's important to point this out. Uh, he was suspended for a whole year, still don't know exactly what it was. All we know is that it, he was uh, having, having sex with uh, one of the, the executive's wives, well, not one of his wives. You know what I mean. One of the executives, his wife, he was having having sex with her, having a, a some sort of relationship. That doesn't warrant a one-year suspension. There's some shit that's not being told, and there, that's next to a proven fact. Not even next to a proven fact. It's an open secret that there is stuff there that, for some reason, no one in the media and no one behind the scenes, no one in the basketball community, neither of them have leaked this. Which tells me, I mean, I don't know what it tells me. The silence is more deafening than anything else. And then you couple that with the fact that they just let Ime Udoka walk. Like, they didn't want him in the organization anymore. If you want Ime Udoka in the organization after all of that, you at least tie, like, some sort of draft compensation to his hire there. You let Ime Udoka go like that after the silence surrounding his suspension, the fact that it's a whole year. I... I assume the Nets know what they're getting into going in here, but I I am I, I don't know if uncomfortable is the right word, but I'm just like perplexed at this point. Like I something doesn't feel right. That's the best way to put it here, but something something doesn't feel right. It's like one of those things like it, a trap again might not be the right word, but there's a reason they let Ime Udoka go. I mean, obviously, you love Joe Missoula in there and all of that, but I, this feels like I've, I've got a very good radar for these sorts of things, and I've been right in the past. Um, this feels like something bigger than what we've just seen over this past couple days. Something big is going to happen with Brooklyn, and it's not going to be a good big thing. It's going to be, I feel like, we're going to start to get a few more details. Now that Ime Udoka has separated from the Celtics organization, there's no reason to save face there anymore for the Celtics organization. You might see the lips loosen a little bit. We might get a few more details as to what exactly Ime Udoka was being punished for with the Celtics. And it, it was by the Celtics. It wasn't by the NBA. Um... It, we're going to have to wait and see whether those details come out and make the Nets look good or make the Celtics look bad. But that feels like something that's coming down the pipe here. So as interesting as this situation is from every perspective that is not on the basketball court, it's going to get even more interesting and they're probably going to lose even more. Actually, I hope they lose even more because that's how we're going to get more crazy, ridiculous shit like we're getting right here. When you're winning, seems like not a whole lot of this stuff pops up in the uh, in the mainstream. When you're losing like the Nets are, you fire your head coach, you hire a guy that seems sketchy at best right now with uh, what we know or more accurately what we don't know about him. Uh, keep stay tuned to Brooklyn right now, man. This is going to be a ongoing soap opera, and we are we're not even ten games into the NBA regular season right now. Uh, this is going to be a tire fire all season. But with that, just had to get into that quickly because what a situation going on over there in Brooklyn. I, again, I ask, what the hell is going on in Brooklyn right now? I got I got no idea. 
Got no idea. In just, just pretend I'm doing the the Brian Windhorse voice. What's going on in Utah right now? But except for except for Brooklyn. Uh, that being said, uh, let's get back to the football, shall we? That was a that was a pretty fun little break. Let me get a sip of this ice cold cock real quick. <sighs> yep, yep. Probably gonna have to burp here in a minute just because of that. But I mean, I am running. Just about empty on the energy here, and I did not get any coffee this morning, so ice cold cock it is, ladies and gentlemen, the red can with all of the juice in the pan, uh, not even sure what I'm saying there, either way, it's the tra- trade deadline moves, I'm gonna stop fucking talking before I talk in another circle for five minutes, um, bunch of stuff happened, I mean, I'm just gonna go down the list here, because, I mean, the the, the activity, it didn't really pick up until the very last day of the thing happening, or second to last day even of, of the, the trade deadline itself, uh, but the the activity itself started, I mean, pretty rudely directly after I recorded uh, my college football episode last week, so I couldn't even really talk about it until now, but Kadarius Tony goes from the Giants to the Chiefs for a conditional third and a sixth in 2023. I think I talked about it a little bit in relation to the Chiefs last week, but the Chiefs were also on by, so I might might have might have missed it there. I just wanted to make sure I caught it here first off because again, this came out the 27th last Thursday, the the day that I released my my final episode of the week last week, so I couldn't get any uh couldn't get any reaction to it such as life from time to time. But uh Andy Reid came out and said he's healthy too. So, what the hell was all that in New York this season with <laughs> With the quote-unquote injury problems and all that stuff, what what was that? Were they just trying to like protect a trade asset? Because I mean, there was no secret. It was a it was a pretty open sort of thing that the the Giants were trying to. I mean, with the exception of Daniel Jones at this point, which I think they'd probably trade him if they got good value for him. Um, I feel like they're just trying to trade everything, just graced by the stain of Dave Gettleman over the over the past couple years. So. Kadarius Tony does does fit the bill there. Um, I guess Saquon Barkley and Danny Jones fit that bill too, but they're playing well, so it's a little bit little bit different. Uh, that being said, water under the bridge. He he drew Tyree Kill cons- comparisons coming out of college. Uh, he's looked nothing short of explosive when he's out there. It's just all about staying out there. But hey, if he is healthy and he comes back and injects that sort of element back into the Chiefs' offense, boy. That team is even more lethal than I'd even thought they'd be. I mean, if you've got a player, he does legitimately. There's a, there's a reason he had those Tyreek Hill comparisons. The thing I hear about Tyreek Hill that makes him so special is not just the speed, which he has elite world-class speed, don't get me wrong there, but it's the acceleration and the quickness in combination with the speed. That is the exact mold that I see from, from Kadarius Tony in the same, same sorts of way. He... He strikes the fear of God into defense, the into defenses in the exact same sorts of ways that Tyree Kill does. Obviously, I mean he's a long, long way away from being a Hall of Fame type of wide receiver like Tyree Kill is, but he has that sort of raw speed, athleticism, quickness, just the explosiveness that you simply can't teach. You're either born with it or you're not. And Kadarius Tony was born with it. Um, I've, I mean. They're built a certain way as far as like playing physically and all that, but you have a guy that can take the top off the defense like like Kadarius Tony can. I mean, I see no reason that this Chiefs offense can't get even better. Again, it's a big health question. Don't get me wrong. Uh, big big gamble from a health perspective, especially giving up a third uh, and another draft pick for him. But man, if if he ends up being what you what we think he is, or what I personally think he is when he's on the field, man, and he does that in the playoffs again. It it feels like it's just them and the Bills at the top of the AFC at this point. And any given Sunday, of course, but on a week to week basis, no one in the AFC is in the stratosphere of the Chiefs or Bills right now. Plain and simple, they feel like they're on a collision course. Uh, for the AFC Championship to see who goes to the Super Bowl. The fact that we can't see them in the Super Bowl is a little bit unfair, but we also can't see the Cowboys and the Eagles host a playoff game this year, uh, at least not in the first round. So I guess you take it where you can. Uh, that being said, moving on from that, because, I mean, it's it's already a, almost a week. Well, actually, by the time y'all listen to this in all likelihood, it will be a week old, so I don't want to spend too much time on that. Let's get more toward 
the present on Monday. Bears traded Roquan Smith. Did talk about this on the Tuesday episode, so I'll keep it brief. But I've actually warmed up on this trade from the Bears' point of view in light of what else they did at the trade deadline. We'll get to that in just a second. I very much like it from the Ravens' point of view, though, because this makes it like... I, I heard it brought up on a podcast today, and I think it's a good point. Oh, here comes that burp. Ooh, I'm gonna have to mute that and post or, or take that out because I don't wanna. I don't wanna. I don't wanna. I don't wanna gross you all out out there with with the burp noise itself. But yeah, that was a that was a good one. Released some pressure there. Uh, but from the Ravens' point of view, I did hear this on a, on a podcast uh, earlier today. Actually, listening to I believe it was the Mina Kimes show featuring her dog and all that shit. But um, it was Dominique Foxworth, who, Dominique Foxworth, rather, who actually brought up the point where it feels like Kyle Shanahan built a a defense where he just like brought in a whole bunch of players and built a defense that he would hate to go up against as an offensive mind. It feels like the the defense for the Ravens that that whole staff got tired of going up against Lamar Jackson in practice. Like, all right, I need to get you in here to to beat down this mobile quarterback. And that's a that's a formula that's going to work. Also, again, cannot stress enough, totally just copying and pasting that idea from Dominique Foxworth. So shout out for that one. I do tend to agree with that assessment. Not gonna take that for my own though. Just gonna just gonna put that out there. Um, but again, that's a that's a formula that'll work with Ro, with uh, Roquan Smith versus uh, Josh Allen and stuff like that too. You need someone to kind of spy a guy like Josh Allen because if he beats you with his legs scrambling out of the pocket and all that stuff as well as what he does with his arm, you're gonna lose by thirty. So you got to do something to at least slow him down. And again, I talked about it on Tuesday with with Lamar Jackson. There, you got a puncher's chance in, in literally every single game you go into, whether you have better talent or not, Ravens probably by the time they get late in the playoffs, they're going to be facing Chiefs, Bills, that ilk. They're not going to have better talent than those teams. They will have a puncher's chance though. And if you get another guy like Roquan Smith to be the brain in the middle of that defense, I'm just saying, you are cooking with gas on the defensive side of the ball. You may, if you, all you got to do is slow him down a little bit. And if Lamar Jackson has one of his games, there's a very good chance that you win that. So, I mean, this is, this is a playoff push sort of move. I love it. I think it puts them firmly at the very top of the division. I think they're the best team in the AFC North right now. And I think they eventually pull away and take that division. This is a playoff move, though. I'm interested to see how it works going forward. Won't spend too much more time on that, though. Let's move on to my boys. Different NFC North team, the Vikings, landing TJ Hawkinson. Boy, was I excited for this one when it happened. Let's get into the uh, compensation real quick. Lions send TJ Hawkinson and two fourth round picks in 2023 and 2024, respectively. Uh, Vikings send a second round pick in 2023 and a third rounder in 2024. So basically, a couple pick swaps, uh, swap a second for a third or second for a fourth in this year's draft, uh, swap a third for a fourth in next year's draft, and we get one brand new TJ Hawkinson in the building Boy, am I excited, but let's talk about the Lions' perspective on this one first. I think they know they're not going to win this year. I think it's kind of plain and simple. The writing is on the wall. They need the cap space uh, that would be devoted to a big contract extension to rebuild this defense, and they needed the draft capital to do the same as well. So, I mean, it makes sense. Wild move to trade the guy in the division. I mean, that. A guy like TJ Hawkinson, he's one of the better tight ends in the entire league. He's been a little bit on the injury-prone side in the past, but he is explosive when he is out there from the tight end position. No idea why you trade a guy like that in the division, but the Lions will lie in at the end of the day. I get it from a team-building perspective where you need the assets, you need the cap space to reconfigure your team because that defense... I said it on the last episode, they're not going to win a goddamn thing if that defense is playing the way they're playing now. They need to completely overhaul every everyone not named uh, Aiden Hutchinson can go. They, they can be let go and they can leave after the season. Uh, you keep Aiden Hutchinson and you tear everything else down at the seams. It is just a bad, bad defense over there. Uh, you got a, got a, a piece that you can build off of in Hutchinson, 
but he needs help literally everywhere else on that defense. Uh, that being said, from a Vikings point of view, I love this trade. Oh my goodness, I am so excited about this trade. Obviously, I would have loved to see us go out and get some secondary help. I think the, the secondary going to be the thing that ends up when we face like uh, the Eagles again or we face uh, Dak Prescott in the playoffs with the Cowboys. Uh, that secondary is going to be what comes back and haunts us at the end of the day. Harrison Smith is still spectacular, but the corners are suspect. If Patrick Peterson can... I mean, harness what little is left in the tank and kind of wrote, ride it into the end of the season. He did just have a fantastic game against the Cardinals, so maybe he's got a little bit of juice left in the tank that he can kind of ride it out into the sunset here. That would be cool. I do think at the end of the day, that's what, when we get down to the playoffs, we're going to go to the playoffs at this point. I think it's probably a, a foregone conclusion, as much of a foregone conclusion as there can be in, in the NFL. But uh, when we get there, the, uh, yeah. You know what I'm saying. The, the secondary is going to be an issue. The corners are going to be an issue. But if that wasn't going to happen, if if I wasn't going to get that, next best thing is bringing in a guy that mitigates Kirk Cousins' shortcomings. And that is exactly what Hawkinson's going to do on this team. When things get tough and when Kirk Cousins needs a completion, here's a little inside thing for you guys that don't watch Kirk Cousins on a regular basis. When shit hits the fan and he does not know what to do, I mean, sometimes you see him with that with that, that big old frowny face where he's got like the, the forced underbite, like he's forcing, yeah, he, and there's, no, there's no video for this, so you can't see me doing it, but he's like forcing out his bottom jaw, so you see his bottom teeth, and he looks all stressed out. When he's in that mode, and he's doing that thing, he, you know, I, I don't want to say short circuits, because that's being a little bit mean, but he takes a few shortcuts in his brain to come to his decisions at a certain point there uh, when shit really gets tough. Whether it's on the boot action that he loves, uh, uh, things go haywire in the pocket. The number one guy he looks to in those spots is the tight end. And it's been the same way since he's been with the Vikings. I assume it was the exact same way it was when he was with the dead name Washington team back in the day. Now the uh, I don't even know. They're the goddamn Red Menace. Who the fuck even knows? But you know what I'm saying. We saw it with Rudolph, then Tyler Conklin, and we've seen it this season again with Irv Smith and the emergence of Johnny Munt. With all due respect to Johnny Munt here, he hasn't caught more balls in seven games with the Vikings than he did in four seasons with the Rams because he's that much more improved as a player. I don't think he's that much better of a route runner. Uh, sure, sure, he's gotten more opportunities with the Vikings team, but the bottom line is it's because when shit hits the fan, one of Kirk Cousins' go-to moves is, quote, fuck it, throw the ball to the tight end. And I've seen it time and time again. It's gotten him in trouble. It's caused him to throw some terrible throws. Uh, but when he has a good tight end, it's caused him to throw some very, very good throws. Now, instead of Irv Smith and Johnny Munt, they're going to have TJ Hawkinson and Irv Smith. Whenever Irv Smith gets back, into the lineup here. He is injured, shocker. Uh, once again, I think it's an ankle sprain this time. Doesn't change the fact that Kirk Cousins is going to take some short throws to the tight end when there's better opportunities down the field. That is, if you ever wonder why the fans of teams that have Kirk Cousins don't necessarily love Kirk Cousins, that's one big reason. That's one reason why he gets very good stats on the stat sheet because often doesn't kill you by throwing into like triple coverage, but often doesn't take the shot when the shot is wide ass open uh, because he likes to go to, he likes to go to who he likes to go to. He likes to throw to certain areas. And one of those areas is the tight end. He is addicted to throwing the tight ends. Um, not going to change the fact that he's doing those short throws, but he's going to turn a few more of those ho-hum checkdowns uh, into 15-yard chunk plays because that is that is what Hawkinson is averaging per catch right now. He's leading all tight ends with just over 15 yards per catch. And that is a lot of after-the-catch action, too. He runs a lot like George Kittle, where you get the ball in his hands and he can make some stuff happen out there. You get a guy like that with Kirk Cousins being addicted to throwing to tight ends, that is a recipe for raising the floor of the team. Maybe they raise the ceiling, too. I think the the weapons already spoke for themselves before Hawkinson got there. But Hawkinson is 
make no mistake about it, he is a floor raiser. I think a lot of the the doldrums you see from this Vikings offense are going to be taken care of in some measure just because of how productive TJ Hawkinson is at making those those dump offs into a little bit better plays, keeping the sticks moving. Um, this is a slam dunk trade from Kwesi Adofo Mensa to gear up for a playoff run. And I cannot wait to see what it looks like on the football field because we are going to need his services in the upcoming stretch. We have gotten through the initial stretch, six and one. That is all well and good, but it, it is about to be pain time. And I do not want to be in a severe amount of pain when the pain time does end up come and do. Did that make any sense? Probably not. Moral of the story is here. I absolutely love this trade for the Vikings team construction. Love every single bit of it. Uh, From that to another trade, I don't love this trade. I'll put this firmly in a trade that I like. Chase Claypool goes to the Bears for a second round pick. It was initially reported that the second round pick was the one that the Bears got for Roquan Smith. That was utter poppycock. That was not at all what the reality was. In reality, it was just the the regular old Bears second round pick that they would have had whether they traded Roquan or not. I'm not sure it necessarily matters too much. I think a second round pick is a second round pick at the end of the day. And I think actually, if they traded the Ravens second round pick, it would have been a less valuable second round pick. So, I mean, there there is that. I guess that kind of speaks to the detriment of Ryan Poles. But at the end of the day... I am now utterly worried that Poles might actually have some idea what he's doing there at the GM position. I was skeptical. I'm still kind of skeptical at the value that they got for Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn. I mean, they let Robert Quinn out the door for nothing. I cannot, I'm going to stay firm in this. You need to get a third round pick for Robert Quinn. That's, that's a damn, that's a shame they did not get a third round pick for him. Again, not from a Vikings fan perspective, but from the Bears perspective, you got to get a third round pick for Robert Quinn, in my opinion. Uh, you, you just got to do that. And I think you probably need to get a first round pick for Roquan Smith. A second rounder isn't isn't a bad haul at the end of the day. I think it might have ended up being, uh, especially with the other pick that they got, end up being the best uh, sort of package that they were going to get. But you go from doing that, being a seller is one thing. Going out and getting Chase Claypool, who I think is locked up for at least this season, also locked up for next season, if I'm not mistaken, on a, on a cheap deal at that, you get him for a second round pick and you, you you give him to Justin Fields most importantly. I mean, it's showing me more than anything that the Bears are building an offense around what Justin Fields is doing. And they're not just mindlessly putting resources into the defense because the Bears are just a defensive franchise like the, the previous regime seemed to be doing. No, this time, this time it seems like they're very purposely purposefully building up a roster around what Justin Fields does well and probably said it on Tuesday it's worth saying again here I definitely think the Bears beat the Vikings when they play at Soldier Field um, whenever the next time it is and I I actually know I said that on Tuesday because I kind of vaguely remember saying it at one point I'll tell you what I say things on this mic and they just kind of come out of my mouth and they're they're gone into the ether I might have said something horrible but man I'll tell you what Totally forget what it was in all likelihood. It's just, you know, words flying out of the mouth after after a certain point. But um, I'm, I'm talking more and more because I'm scared that the Bears might actually be good. They're not going to be good this year. Uh, they might finish the season hot. I think they might end up being like a solid, like they might not have a winning record at the end of the season, but they might like reel off like a stretch of games to end the season where they have a winning record. Like, going in the next year, I would not be shocked at all if the Bears are, like, competing for a playoff spot. It is, it's scary, and I'm not looking forward to it, but credit where it's due, Ryan Poles might actually be building something there in Chicago. With that said, mouth is getting a little bit dry again, so let's get another another sip of the ice-cold Coke. My throat is hurting a little bit, so let's, let's, uh, let's massage it with a few bubbles real quick. Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right. With that, we are getting towards the end here. Let me see how I'm doing time-wise. Only 40 minutes, so I can kind of pontificate on this one a little bit. Uh, Hit the wrong tab. All right. First off, we have got... 
Actually, we got a couple more trades here, so this will probably get to the hour mark. Um, first off, we have got the Commies trading William Jackson to the Steelers for a late round pick swap. I think it was a seventh or a sixth rounder that they ended up switching. The, the one tab I looked at, I mean, Steelers being Steelers and all old school and secretive, they didn't the, 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 it was, they said it was draft compensation, but it was undisclosed draft compensation. Uh, on Mina Kimes' show, I heard it was like a late-round pick swap. So, I mean, it is what it is. It's liquidation prices, pretty much. I mean, it's a big contract. A uh, guy that hasn't exactly lived up to that salary either. But with Minka Fitzpatrick to, pr- to protect him on the back end, um, I could see Jackson playing better with the Steelers. And I think it's a bit of a, a, bit of a gamble. Don't get it twisted, though. It just... They just got rid of Chase Claypool on offense, who is their second receiver or first receiver right now. I'm not sure, really sure what you classify him as at this point. Um, this will not make an ounce of difference this season as far as playoffs are concerned. They are not a playoff team. They are, as far as roster is concerned, they have the worst roster in their division. They're probably going to end up being last in the NFC, in the AFC North just based on, I mean... Bengals aren't going to finish in last, I don't think. Browns, I think they're playing too well, and then they're going to have Deshaun Watson at the end of the year, so they're not going to finish in last. And the Ravens are the best team in the entire division. I think they're going to win the whole thing. So one of these teams has to finish in last, and it looks like it's going to be the Steelers once again. And it looks like Mike Tomlin's going to be waving bye-bye to the uh, to the, the winning season or or non-losing season streak is probably the best way to put it. I think he had a, a 500 season in there somewhere or other. I, I could be wrong. Um, this is a long-term gamble on a guy they picked up at liquidation prices, though. I think they're going to be stuck with the contract for a little bit, but that's that's a luxury that you can pay when you have a, a starting quarterback on a rookie contract, though. Um, at the end of the day, it is just a late-round pick swap. It is a big contract as well, which there's a reason it was just a late-round pick swap. William Jackson hasn't lived up to that contract with with the commies thus far. But that being said, I think if William Jackson comes in has a little bit of cushion on the back end, knows that he can play a little bit more confidently. I think this this is a, a deal that can end up working well for the Steelers. Not this year. I mean, I'm sure it could work well down the stretch of this year, especially with TJ Watt returning. I think they could be very competitive with teams down the stretch this year on the defensive side of the ball. But this is, again, you don't make trades in football. Again, I feel like I'm just parroting Dominique Foxworth over and over again, but you don't really make trades in football for this year. You make them with an eye on... Sure, this year sometimes, but next year, the year after that, the really the only like win right now trades I can think of off the top of my head, um, all coming from Les Snead pretty much. Like, <laughs> like, um, just just off the top of my head, just thinking Vaughn Miller. That one was, I mean, you spent all the draft capital on him. You got you you sent everything in the cupboard over to get Vaughn Miller. Got the championship didn't resign him in the offseason. That is about a uh that is about a, as much of a win now move as you could ever get. They just completely gutted the future of the franchise to win a uh win a Super Bowl, which by the way, if you win the Super Bowl, I don't think anyone cares. Like it's, it's one of the things. I mean, they're going to hate when the team stinks like the like the Rams kind of stink this year, but man, you can always be angry about the present and look at that trophy case and be like, "Damn, that Lombardi sure is sweet looking." And then it's all all right. I mean, <laughs> the Cubs had a 108-year drought, and they've been abjectly terrible since breaking that drought. I've not heard a peep from Cubs fans, man. They don't. I mean, they're. I mean, sure. Sometimes at the trade deadline, they get a little get a little bit uppity. They get a little bit sad. But at the end of the day, 108 years. They got. They they, they got a Super Bowl. Nothing matters. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like it's so. Bit of a risk reward thing. That that is all to say. I'm not even sure how I got to that. That e- either way, interested to see what William Jackson does in the Steelers' defense. But it's it's a big like low risk, high reward sort of thing. I mean, you're you're cigar butt investing at this point with with William Jackson. So interested to see how that works out. Uh, moving on to probably the biggest uh, splashers of the day when it was all said and done. Dolphins go all in on this one. They trade for Bradley Chubb, also Jeff Wilson, who they sneak in there at the trade deadline. Both are very, very impactful. Uh, Chubb gets a lot of the pub, but Wilson impactful in his own right. We'll talk about him in just a second, but let's let's talk about the compensation first off. Sorry about that. Going to edit out that burp in post. 
Yep, just leaving a silence there so I know when to edit out. All right. Uh, for Chubb and a fifth uh, in 2025, the Dolphins send a first in next year's draft and a fourth in 2024, as well as Chase Edmonds uh, to the Broncos. I guess, hey, get it. I don't think Chase Edmonds comes in and is the starter right away, but you get some get some help back there, and you get some draft compensation. Most importantly, for Wilson, Dolphins sent a fifth round pick, uh, and that was it. That was all she wrote. That's pretty good uh, compensation for Jeff Wilson uh, just to bring him in. Start with the biggest splash here. Chubb is an immediate game changer on that team right away. Full stop. I mean, he is a I'm I, I'm I'm stumbling over my words just because of how. I mean, it, th- this is a big splashy move, but I don't know if people realize just how impactful and how like this guy can change the defense right away is the thing. Like, let me let me get it. People may not realize it because the offense gets so much attention down there with the Dolphins, but they have one of, if not the best tandem of corners already down there in the entire league between Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. Um, two legit shutdown corners who they just had a bajillion dollars in cap room one year so they were just like fuck it we got uh, that was when they had Brian Flores in there that got a defensive coach fuck it let's just go all in and spend all this money to get two shutdown corners on the outside still got those guys both of them locked up on long-term contracts right now but up front they've also got Jalen Phillips who's been much improved in his second season after being drafted in the first round last year he's on pace to get double digit sacks this year and then you slot in Bradley Chubb to rush opposite of Phillips. He can't double either one of those guys. With the players they've got on the back end, I mean, the linebackers, linebackers is the linebackers. I have no idea who they are outside of uh, Melvin Ingram, but I think they'll figure it out with all the, the advantages they've been given, both in front of them and behind them. They've got a nice, nice cushy sandwich there in the middle. This is this sneakily might be one of the best defensive units in the AFC with the addition of Bradley Chubb overnight. I think he makes that much of a difference. This Miami pass rush in tandem with the corners they have might end up being, I mean, you saw the impact. Obviously, they got Patrick Sertain in in Denver, but when when Bradley Chubb was there, still rushing, still being what he is now. That is part of the reason why that pass rush, or not that pass rush, that pass defense was as good as it was. Obviously, you got Justin Simmons, you got Patrick Sertain, um, but Chubb being in there is why they were giving up less than five yards per attempt up until this week. We'll have to see what happens now that Chubb is out of town. They did trade for Bradley Martin or whatever whatever his name, Jacob Martin. Bradley Martin is a, is a fitness YouTuber, totally different guy. Uh, Jacob Martin from the Jets, so... It's going to be a downgrade. You still got a pass rusher there, but that is definitely a downgrade. I think that something similar like that can happen by slotting in on the opposite side of Jalen Phillips. You give the op- the other quarterbacks, the, the quarterbacks you're going up against, zero time. And on top of that, you have two corners on the back end that can absolutely destroy a game plan for an offense on the outside. There's no reason for me to think that this defense can't immediately I mean, vault high into the top 10, maybe even a top five unit down the stretch going into the playoffs. And that is before we even get to the Jeff Wilson trade. The Wilson trade kind of snuck in under the radar in, in light of the Chubb acquisition and all of, all that that entails that I just laid out for you. I mean, my God, I'm not sure there's been a more impactful trade at the, at the deadline in quite some time there, but that might be equally impactful for the offense uh, with Wilson in there. Biggest problem this season for the Finns is that they haven't had a consistent running back who fits in the Shanahan run scheme. He's not a guy that you want as a bell cow back there because if you give him 20-some carries a game, his body's going to fall apart. He's he's a Ferrari. He's fast as hell, but Ferraris need a whole lot of maintenance, and it just is what it is. You bring in Jeff Wilson, you got an extremely productive player in that mold just a few weeks ago in literally Shanahan's offense you've already had like a trial run in a in a different offense already you've seen what he can do in that running scheme with the weapons they have on the outside between Hill and Waddle uh, and Gesicki at that if the Dolphins run game becomes a consistent threat that defense has got to account for drop some players down in the box to make sure you're not getting gashed by that run we might see a new level for this unit because I mean, 
teams are scared to death of speed. I mean, breaking news, defenses are scared to death of speed on the outside, which is why you'll probably often see either Waddle or Hill, probably both in all likelihood, getting shaded over top because teams are scared to death that they will be beaten deep by those guys. If the running game is playing well, you simply do not have the resources to shade over top of both of them. You've got to give up something somewhere. You're either giving up personnel in the run game, in which case you're going to get five yards of carry on you, or you're giving up something in the passing game where there is always a possibility that they put it 70 yards to the house over your head. This Dolphins offense down the stretch, as it gets more and more into what Mike McDaniel is trying to do, look for this Dolphins offense to be absolutely lethal down the stretch. I think Tua has shown me everything I need to see as far as like being able to win with him as a quarterback. I mean, my God, when he's out there and he has he has time, he has both of those stud wide receivers plus Gasicki out there. I mean, there are times where he's thrown over 80%. He just did it last week. I mean, he's a guy you can win with, especially with those weapons around him. I mean, look for the Dolphins to maybe vault their way up in there, be dangerous in the AFC, really go up there and kind of compete with uh, the Bills and the Chiefs. I mean, you see teams like the Ravens and Dolphins going all in with these trades. That's the reason why they're doing it. They're going, they're doing it to go up against these crazy, crazy teams in the Chiefs and Bills. And I think they're doing a hell of a job in putting some teams together to do it. This Dolphins squad, they're probably not going to win the AFC East. I mean, Bills... Pretty unstoppable force at this point. I think they're probably just going to have to settle for the wild card spot. But they get into the playoffs, and boy, oh boy, are they going to be dangerous. They can get a they can get an upset on one of those two main contenders very, very easily. It's an any given Sunday sort of game, especially in the playoffs. I cannot wait. I mean, the AFC, really, at the very top of the league, it is... Just about as interesting as it has ever been. Really on both sides. I mean, get a lot of shit in the NFC for it being the weaker conference. But at the end of the day, the parity at the top. Sure, you got two main contenders for the Super Bowl in the Cowboys and the Eagles over in the NFC. But even after that, there's such a nice pool of like okay teams below that. Like that could in any given any given Sunday sort of thing, any given playoff game go out there and upset either the Eagles or the or the Cowboys like it's it is going to be a fun fun playoff push down the stretch and I cannot wait until it gets to that point let me tell you what uh with that said though let's stay in the AFC uh a different team actually stay in Florida at that if if only barely Jags acquire Calvin Ridley from the Falcons and I'm sure I'm not even going to go there. That was going to be a bad joke anyways. Uh, Jags sent draft compensation worth up to a fifth in 2023 and a second in 2024. All things considered, not bad compensation for the Falcons there for a guy that's not going to play at all this season on suspension. Uh, there's He's going to have to reapply to be, to, or apply to be reinstated after this season. So there's no guarantee that he plays at the beginning of next season either. But that being said, it's another one of those moves that that is clearly not for this season, but I love in the grand scheme of things. I mean, they just brought in this offseason. It wasn't Matt Collins. They brought in Zay Jones. They brought in another one of those Raiders wide receivers. Uh, They bring in Zay Jones. They bring in Christian Kirk. You need a guy on the outside like Calvin Ridley to kind of break a a defense open a little bit. They got some very good... Players, oh, also Evan Ingram. Forgot about Evan Ingram in there too, but they're putting a solid receiving core around what Trevor Lawrence is doing. And I think acquiring a guy like Calvin Ridley, and obviously Trevor Lawrence has to be better. Plain and simple, full stop there. If he doesn't get better than what he's been doing this season, he's had some terrible, terrible throws at times this season. If he doesn't get better, I mean, they're not going to be any sort of good no matter what. But assuming that he keeps on progressing, keeps on developing here going forward, acquiring Calvin Ridley, now you've got all sorts of weapons on the outside. you got Travis Etienne in the backfield. All of the focus now can go to building up the defense and building up the offensive line. And if you can have a, a focused energy like that in the offseason, going in with specific goals 
on how to improve the team. I think the Jags put themselves in a very good position to put together like an actual playoff squad next year. I mean, this year gave them a little bit too much credit too early. They were just a little bit ahead of schedule there. Got a little bit, little bit over, over enthusiastic, we'll just say, on their prospects. But next year, you got the skill positions in place. If you can improve the offensive line, improve the secondary on the other side of the ball, uh, let the pass rushers develop a little bit. I mean, you've drafted about 5 million of them over the, p- the past several years, so I don't think you need to draft another pass rusher. Uh, but that being said, get some get some secondary help in there, get some offensive line help. This could, in the AFC South, no less, this could be a team that competes for a playoff spot at the end of the day. So look for the Jags to maybe be a little bit better. They do still have the same brain trust running things, so I don't trust them at all, but... I mean, Doug Peterson in there, actual NFL coach. Maybe Trevor Lawrence develops a little bit. Interesting things going on down there in Jacksonville. Maybe not for this year, but the years to come seems to always be the case down there. However, I digress. Uh, Last trade before I send y'all on your merry way for the night here in this special bonus episode of Unqualified Analysis. Uh, Bills acquire Naheem Hines from the Colts for a fifth rounder and running back Zach Moss. Uh, this one didn't get nearly enough pub in my mind. Uh, Hines was hidden in the backfield behind Jonathan Taylor in Indy for the longest time, but he's going to be an absolute nightmare as the feature back in Buffalo. I mean, you just think about what he does well. Like just, just think about this. Devin Singletary, think about him. He comes out of the backfield, really just a glorified, like small running back receiver. He can get you a few good gash plays in the running game. He'll get you over five yards of carry from time to time. He, he's good for that. But he's not like, he's not a guy that you can hand the ball to 15 to 20 times and be reasonably certain that he won't, his body won't fall apart, right? Like, you, you love to get him involved in the passing game, Devin Singletary, but he's just a little bit too small at the NFL level to be consistently durable and get that sort of workload. I understand that. You bring in Naeem Hines, on the other hand, and basically, Naeem Hines has all of this, all of the pass receiving skills, all the route running skills, all of that that Devin Singletary has in a bigger body with a little bit better quickness, all of that stuff. And having Devin Singletary in there as basically just a change of pace back, meanwhile, Naeem Hines is the feature in there. This is literally the only hole in the Bills offense, and I think they just filled it with Naheem Hines. This is a big, big get for them. It's something they needed to do to counter uh, the arms race that the Chiefs were doing, getting Kadarius Toney last week. Bringing in Naheem Hines, I think, answers that pretty adequately. I mean, not on the defensive side. I don't think there's anything you can do at this point to address things defensively just because you're facing Patrick Mahomes, but the offensive arms race, as far as that's concerned, they did keep pace, I think, by adding Naheem Hines at the trade deadline again. I've said it before, I'll say it again, these teams are on a collision course with each other, Bills versus Patriots, Bills versus Chiefs, when it's all said and done, in the AFC Championship, give it to me and inject it directly into my veins, or I will riot, goddammit. That being said, Bills did also acquire cornerback Dean Marlowe for a seventh, but uh, that's a less impactful one to me uh, than what Hines brings you. I think that's just more, more depth in the secondary uh, one of those things that they needed, uh, obviously thin at quarterback, they needed, or cornerback rather, they need uh, some extra depth on the back end there to kind of deal with a team like like the Chiefs when it's all said and done. Um, that being said, eh, really, the, let's let's not get out out of the uh, out of the out of the way of what the the main point here is. Naheem Hines. I mean, they were already a championship contender. They were the top championship contender, in fact. But this only makes them better and only puts them closer to that Super Bowl goal. I am, again, giddy with excitement to watch what this, what all of these moves mean down the stretch for all of these teams. With that said, though, we are just at about the hour mark. So I think I am going to, to call it good on that one. That's all, folks. That's all for this episode. Uh, if you enjoyed, subscribe, leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy. If you didn't, uh, just keep her moving and tell no one about it. it. Tell them it was good anyways. I think that's probably a, a good thing to do. Episodes usually twice a week. This time it was three times a week because that trade deadline was something, huh? Uh, got college football on Thursdays. 
and Monday Night Football on Thursdays. Also, NFL football on Tuesdays. Can you tell I'm not actually reading off of a, a script this time for the outro? Uh, that being said, follow me on all my socials at Caleb Verzak. The link will be in the description so you don't have to spell my fucked up Eastern Block name. Uh, if you want to contact the show, shoot me an email at unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. That is unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. Just put business or show in all caps to be categorized accordingly. And uh, yeah, I think that's just about all. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, As always, I've got no clue what I'm talking about. And to show you I have no clue what I'm talking about, uh, I do not have a fun fact because life has been hectic. See you all, well, tomorrow, I suppose. Deuces.